Psalm 23 reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup. It overflows. Surely, surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. As we jump into Psalm 23 and take a look around and ask questions of the text, as well as questions of our own soul and life, Father, I pray that you would bring a deep refreshing, that it would not just be our intellect that would be increased, but Lord, our following of you might be changed. We invite you to shift, to change, to convict, to heal. Lord, we thank you that your word does those things, and so we submit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we said last week, we looked at Psalm 23, simply verse 1. And we got, we looked at three simple things in the Psalm that I think are helpful, by no means exhaustive. We could spend a year just going through Psalm 23 and and different perspectives. But we looked at this idea when it says the Lord, it refers to Yahweh of the Old Testament, which holds this beautiful uh, aspect that the God we serve, the shepherd that is ours, he is God who is Yahweh. And in the linguistics of the word itself and the sign given, we see that our shepherd can be counted on because he needs nothing from anyone. He is not derived from anything. He has always been. He will always be. He is consistent. He is all-powerful. He needs nothing from me. Therefore, he can give everything to me. This is the shepherd that leads us, which is incredible news. Again, we don't want to belabor that. And that last week we talked on that. You can find it online. And it says simply, not just Yahweh, but he is my shepherd. This is incredible news. This personalizes it to me. He is our shepherd. We looked at if he's our shepherd, that means he's responsible for care, for feeding, for leading, for guiding. And the not so good news of him being a shepherd means that we are sheep. It's the reality where, and the more I studied it out, there's some commentaries trying to get you like, well, maybe sheep aren't like that silly or or that dumb. No, they're just, they're really dumb. The more you look at it and study it, sheep, as to what this verse here is referring to, led by a shepherd, have no ability, they'll drink the wrong water and die. There's this one process of sheep that if they they eat something and they kind of get excited and they'll shake, they end up rolling and they do the back thing and they roll on their feet. And because of their they're fat and portly because their shepherd is good. These sheep will sit there and be caught on their back and their legs kick. And because of the motion, gases build up. And if a shepherd doesn't come and flop it over, it dies. Can you imagine doing like the bear rug? Like, oh, my back is itchy on the wall. You slip and fall. You're like, oh, no. Here's the end. This is how it happens. Right here. Right? Sheep. He's our shepherd. We're sheep. 
in desperate need of a shepherd. And it ended with this cliffhanger. It says, because of that, I shall not want. To which we either relegate into realms of spirituality and one day heaven language, or we simply say that's not true. You can read, I shall not want, but I got a long list of wants, needs, desires. And we left off on this, and this is where it says, if Psalm 23 says so much in only six verses, then even more amazing is the fact that in a sense, verses two to six are merely an expansion of verse one. The whole psalm is there in verse one. Each of the other verses simply fill out what it means to belong to a God like this. This week we're going to take a look at verses two and three, but we left with this cliffhanger, and I, before I even got out uh, the doors last week, I had someone coming up to me and said, hey, listen, I get it, we don't want, I understand this, but like, how do I do that? What, what are you talking about? At young adults on Thursday, uh, in both homes, we just begin to discuss, like, hey, we say, I, I shall not want, but I have a long list of needs, of wants, of how to do this, and we live in a culture that takes wants and desires and makes them needs, and then if they're needs, therefore they're rights. And so we have a culture that is constantly telling us to earn more, gain more, do whatever it takes you need to do this. And what I love about the Bible, although we will look at our context because it's helpful for application and for us to lead, but if this word works in in Surrey, B.C., it has to work across the world in poverty. This isn't just a word and a scripture that is for those who have in North America. This word works everywhere. And so although we are immersed in a consumeristic culture where we probably have more things in stores than other people around the world have to their name, this idea and this picture that David is painting for us in Psalm 23, that if Yahweh be my shepherd, there is a reality to which I I lack nothing and I do not want. But it left to this idea, hey, great, that sounds awesome, but how? And I love that verse 1, and the end of verse 1 says, I shall not want. The resounding answer to it is, how do we ever get to a place where I can honestly say I do not want? Yes, he's my good shepherd, I understand that, but Daniel, if I'm honest with the longings of my, my heart and my soul and my life and my emotions... I'm led by wants all the time. And we see the answer to how is found in verse 3. If we are ever going to actually live this idea of not want. Again, we looked at this last week that there's an aspect of I shall not want or I need nothing in salvation. That the sanctification and the price that Jesus paid for you, it's perfect, complete. You are lacking nothing for those who receive Jesus in your salvation. And one day, yes, we will be before God in heaven and we will literally have no lack or need. But there is a reality between those two. There is a transformation or a biblical word of sanctification available to us that we actually might live transformed by the spirit and presence of God that we would live lives where we can say with honesty, yeah, there's wishes or wants, but man, I, I lack nothing. And the answer to get there, we find our good shepherd promised us in verse 3, is that he restores my soul. If we're ever going to live a life with no lack, we must first have a soul that's been restored by the good shepherd. 
And it's interesting when you get into this word, the first word, restore there, it, ha- it has, like we normally understand what it is, but the Hebrew word has this sense of to return or return back to. To return back to a proper or original state. A sense of wholeness. This idea that whatever you are restoring, it once had a function, it once had a reality. If you're like me and you're visual, your iPhone battery, that's why I got this thing up here because apparently my battery's dying. Uh, But your battery was once full. And now you're at 10% wherever you're walking around in life. And this restoring is not just to fix the tent, it's to bring it back to its original purpose. To restore It gives us this picture of returning back to the original state that we were created for. To be with our shepherd, free from sin, from pain, from angst, from need, from want. It holds in it this idea that whatever is being restored desperately needs it. Friends, your soul desperately needs to be restored. My soul is in desperate need to return back to the way that the creator intended it to be. What does he restore? The second word there, soul. We can get this, but if we're not careful, the English translation of this, we think soul. When you hear soul, you probably think non-physical. Spiritual, be non-physical. It's my emotions, maybe it's my spirit. But in the Hebrew, it's actually a hard word to translate because it more accurately means your entire self. The word in question here is nepez, or nepe. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Classically translated as soul but capable of a wide range of ways of connoting the whole person, from breath to life, body, self, being, and of course, your soul. See, the promise of the shepherd is that we will bring, or that he will bring us frequently to a place where our entire self can and will be restored or returned back to the state it was intended for. Because oftentimes we run so fast, we're like, oh, I just need to worship, it's great. Do you know that God intends your, your, your physical body to be restored? Your relationships to be restored? Your emotions to be restored? Everything that would make you you, that is the target of the shepherd in this verse here. That is the promise that is available to us. What an incredible promise. The good shepherd desires to lead us to a place where every aspect of who we are can be refreshed, can be returned back to the way that he designed it to be, can be restored. That we might finally be free from any need or want, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, fill in the blank. So that we can truly enjoy our shepherd. I know about you, but if you have kids, I gotta pick better places to take a drinking break. That was weird. <laughs> but if you have kids, I've noticed this, but my daughter Zoe is my cell phone can be the biggest threat to connection with her. I can be with her, and, and, and this is something I sometimes struggle with is she'll say something, and then she'll continue to say it 87 more times. Same thing. But she has an expectation that dad's eyes are on her all 87 times. And I can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, we, we, we got we to go watch, you know, after dinner, can we watch a show? Yeah, we can watch a show. So I answer text, hey, dad, 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 eyes, eyes, dad, eyes. Okay, day after dinner, can we watch a show? Yeah, y- yes, dear, we, we can do that. And I think sometimes we don't experience the restoration of our soul because when we're with our shepherd, 
we're distracted by wants or desires or needs that actually rob us from this deep restoration that the shepherd desires to bring us. Gibson says it this way, I suggest this is why in part we find the language of Psalm 23 so captivating. It expresses in so few words not just the capacity we have for rest, but also the vast longing of the human heart for true, profound, and long-lasting rest in a wearisome world. Restoration of our soul. This is what the Good Shepherd promises us. If you stop and think about your situation, your life, whatever you're going through right now, whether you have a little or whether you have not, this is the promise that the Father brings to us through His Son, Jesus, our Good Shepherd. He promises to restore our soul. But this brings us to another question. If how we live a life with lacking nothing is by Him restoring us, my second question is, what do I need to do so that I can walk and follow my shepherd? Or maybe a better question, if, if lack and need and desire and being consumed with accumulation is where the shepherd finds me and where he desires to bring me is a place of restored soul, where are we walking? What is the path from here to there? Because I can stand and sing on a Sunday, Lord, thank you, you're so good. Oh, in the presence of Jesus, we feel peace, and it's incredible, and worries tend to fade away as it should. But what happens on Tuesday? What happens on Thursday? What happens when that confrontation at work happens? What happens when your kids are, are, are freaking you out, stressing you out, you don't know what to do? What happens when that longing or that temptation comes back again? This promise is not just feel-good moments when we gather together. The promise is a restored soul to which we live. So the next question must be, where does the good shepherd lead me that might rid me of my wants, that might rid me of my desires, that might rid me of the eye that is never quenched for longing? Where does he lead us. And it's at this point that I think it's important to note the language that David or the psalmist is using. See, it's not just a metaphor pulled out of thin air. It's not even a metaphor as if it were David to write it, he has experience as a shepherd, so he's not just using his own language. David is intentionally connecting what he's trying to communicate back to the people of Israel and their good shepherd in the time of Exodus. It is said all throughout the Old Testament that Yahweh was the good shepherd that led them out. He chooses an analogy that when he used it, it would have brought every Israelite back to God being their shepherd and the exodus to which it refers to. We see that it does this, that where does he lead them? He leads them through the wilderness, surrounded by enemies, yet preparing them and a place for them to walk into. What does he do in this wilderness? He provides them food and manna miraculously. And when they have a thirst in their soul, water comes from a walk, a rock, and he begins to feed them not only with food, but also with water. And he ultimately leads them to the promised land, a place where their soul is restored, of refreshing. We see that the language that David is choosing to use is not pulled out of thin air, but it connects Israel back to the promise and also the commands that were given to them out of Exodus that he is then claiming and walking in that ultimately is fulfilled and was prophetically speaking of Jesus. As we look at verse 2, it's important to remind us of this. 
verse 2, he starts with this. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Two things to note in, in some of the language here is he makes me lie down. That word makes, it's, cause, it's in the causative form. So it is something that is happening or causing me, the subject of this, of this sentence, to do this thing. However, the word make gives this picture of aggressive compulsion. A better picture, the, the word make, not necessarily the Hebrew word, but the English word make gives this idea that he's just going to force us into this. But it's not, it has a, almost a backseat in the meaning of the Hebrew word. But more so than this compulsion, a better picture is that of a good shepherd that leads his sheep to such a beautiful place of rest, of green provision, that it can't help but lay down. Although, if needed, that one sheep that wants to get to the, the goal, like, we got to keep going, we got to keep going. If it's restless, the shepherd will make it lie down. But the thing that causes the sheep to lie down is not a shepherd that comes with a heavy hand, but is a good shepherd that it would be crazy to do anything other than to lie down and rest and enjoy what the shepherd has provided. This idea of green pastures speaks of a dwelling place. In this word, a dwelling place. The word green emphasizes newness of growth. It's not just some grass. It's green pasture. There is life there. It provides everything that the sheep need. The language is undeniably, or this language would undeniably cause the reader of Psalm to think of Sabbath rest. And this is why I say the connection to this. When he says to lie down, he makes me lie down in green pasture. How we see this connection, it's interesting that to lie down is the very first instruction the shepherd gives. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You think, okay, where we're going? Rest. But we just started. Lie down and take in the provision of the shepherd before we go anywhere. Your soul needs to be restored. Since it's interesting that the psalm begins at this point, we might expect it to begin with motion, with some kind of activity, either by the shepherd or of the sheep, but strikingly, it begins with rest. It's a reminder that the Christian life also begins with resting in God or in Christ. Along the way, there will be in, the ti- in time, or there will in time be many things for us to do. Many things. But we begin with resting in Him who has done everything for us. And I think sometimes with my generation, we hear this idea of Sabbath, and we're like, amen, I don't want to work anyways. Right? <laughs> Coming for you. <laughs> Right? It's this idea of like, oh, I mean, I just want everything, but I only want to work like 10 hours a week when it's convenient. Right? This idea that work is also a gift. All right? Work is a gift just like rest is a gift. But we see that oftentimes when it comes to our faith, we want to try and work things out, but we will never be able to work things out until we first receive what God has given to us. This idea of rest being the very first thing brings us immediately back to Genesis. I don't think it's by any uh, 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 coincidence that God waited to create man on the sixth day. Because if it was me, I would have been like, no, 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 make the lake have more fish. No, 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 make it this way. I would have tried to, oh, what do we got to do? We're doing this together. But he creates everything. Then he creates man. And imagine the first day that Adam wakes up. All right, God, what 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 are we doing? What's on the schedule today? Nothing. I've done it all. Rest. What do you mean? I'm not tired. 
rest. You see, the purpose in creation we see of Sabbath, it says that we remember the Sabbath and we remember that God created everything in six days and then he rested because his work was complete. And the, the, the idea is that the man was being able to sit there and it wasn't just rest because you're tired. It says, if you're ever going to do what I've created and purposed you to do, you need to learn relationship with me and you need to enjoy the things that I've already given you. How do I walk with, with I, I shall not want? Learn to stop looking at what you don't have and start enjoying and thanking God for the things that you do have. What would it look like to no longer go uh, and, and once a week to have a day where we stop scrolling, we stop accumulating, we stop hustling, we stop trying, we stop worrying, we stop checking our bank account. Rather than looking at all the foodie places I want to go spend money on, I cook a meal and I thank God for the food that's in my fridge. Rather than looking at that perfect marriage that's probably going to end up, if it's only perfect pictures anyways, of whoever's going on, or, oh, it's not this, or my husband's not this, my kids aren't this. Rather than doing that, to stop and enjoy a meal at a table and thank God for the family that he's given you. Sabbath reminds us that what God has given you is enough for you. It reminds us that we are called to delight in the Father and his goodness and his rich provision, and it begins to shape us. And it's not that God didn't give man a job. And sometimes we think that Sabbath is like, oh, I work so hard, I just need one break between work. No, 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 no. Sabbath is the climax. Sabbath is what we work towards. It is what we start with, this beautiful gift and rest with God. And from that place of completion, of provision, of delighting in the Father and delighting in the things that he has blessed me with, I go do what God has called me to do. It's not just that. Even the second time we see Sabbath mentioned, it's after the Exodus, which would have been brought to the mind of the readers of this psalm. And it's not, it changes. It doesn't say remember the Sabbath because God created. It says now you need to remember the Sabbath so you don't forget you were once slaves. There was a time to which you worked and you had no rest, where you were not free, where you had the yoke of slavery, where Pharaoh was an oversight, where there was a kingdom that said produce more. It was about accumulating. There was no rest. There was no love. There was no provision. And God says, if you're not careful, I will bring you out of Egypt into the promised land and you will repeat the same heart sickness of longing, of not having enough, of not resting. We see this in the law of sowing in the land. We see this in the law of Jubilee believe that God tried to get his people to understand and command them that you need to trust your shepherd. And if you don't learn to stop and lie down when he tells you to, you will always be longing for more and your soul will never be restored. For a generation that has an epidemic of restless soul, a constant longing, a striving or forgetting God the second we come to any hardship. I don't know a better picture of Sabbath, a better practice to walk in that will teach us to allow our souls to be restored. Gibson says it this way, when we move too quickly through life, we tend to make poor decisions. We often prioritize the wrong things and we can begin to equate our very selves with the status we have achieved or the accumulation of possessions we have amassed. In none of those modes of unreflective living is there a space to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I lack nothing.
And this will undoubtedly be something that we will come to when we look at this practice. I hear it all the time. Do I have to Sabbath? It, it, didn't Jesus do away with the Sabbath? Is it, is it still a command? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not under compulsion, but it has this picture that a sheep that has a desperate longing, a shepherd that knows exactly what it needs, it would be crazy for a sheep to continue in stress, in wandering, and in finding, and not enjoy the gift that the shepherd has provided. Daniel, do I have to Sabbath? There's some theologians that land on it is a command, and some land that it is not, but all of them land in the same place. You'd be crazy not to. Is your soul restless? He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he he leads us into this next part, which is almost a continuation of this, that when we are obedient to lie down, when we're obedient to trust him and just enjoy the things that God has provided, and and, and I'll say this as well on Sabbath, if if that's kind of a, a completely foreign word to you, I'd encourage you, if you're a reader, Anything by Dallas Willard on this or John Mark Comer or there, there's a lot. And if you read anything of John Mark Comer, it's basically a bibliography of anyone who's ever written on anything else, right? So you get a lot of other books that you can read based on that. If you're not a reader, uh, Practicing the Way podcast is a great podcast. The first one walks through some of this teaching and, and how to do it and practically because uh, it's, it can be different for different people. And you can kind of create what's called a rule of life and how to walk through this, but it's the leading of the shepherd. It's not something to get legalistic about because you can take a day, turn your phone off, not work, and not connect with God and be no more restored. The goal is to enjoy your shepherd, delight in him, and to enjoy the people and the things that he has already provided in your life. Then it leads, next it says, he leads me by still waters, besides still waters. And again, like I said, this is not so much a separate picture or a period and then a new statement. It's almost a comma. It says, when we are willing to be led to green pastures, when we are willing to rest, when the shepherd says it's time to rest, we realize that in that rest there is beautiful still waters. Going back to a hating on sheep. Sheep can't tell if there's a raging river or if it's calm. And because they're full of wool, If there's not a shepherd to lead them beside still waters, they run into raging rivers and they die. I feel like and they die is like can be the end of any statement about sheep that are left into themselves. And we wonder, our world's gone crazy. Yeah, sheep. What did you expect? Right? We're creative in the ways that we can be stupid. I'm sorry. I'm creative in the ways that I can be stupid. That was too aggressive. Receive it for me, okay? But we see that it's still waters. as this idea of this calm little shallow eddy that connects from pasture to pasture. Golden Gay helpfully explains the sheep in this idea of still water gives us this picture that the sheep may drink and lie down by the pool again knowing that they can get up and have another drink whenever they need. It's this idea that of rest knowing that the thirst, the longings of my soul and my body can stop in a place of lying down and Sabbath and accumulation and want, it is then once I stop 
that I realize my shepherd is so good that he caused us to stop by still waters, living waters that I can drink, that I can drink and go back and rest and that I can get up and I can drink again. And it's crazy with sheep, it's actually apparently very difficult to get sheep to lie down. Shocker, right? (laughs) You're like, oh, it should be easy. We're sheep, remember that. Sheep normally need four things to be able to actually lie down and not get up. They're very anxious creatures. So if there's any fear, any twig snapping or anything going on, they're very easily distracted and it pops them up. They're very, because again, they have no defenses. They're sheep. So everything kills them. A little black fly, no, death, right? <laughs> like parasites are like, they're terrified. So the shepherd needs to remove fear. Not only that, but friction with other sheep. Shocker. Right? (laughs) That sheep actually fight with each other. I'll leave it at that. But this idea that to rest and restore that friction between other sheep is something that the shepherd needs to take and needs to calm. That if there's unforgiveness in amongst us, don't be surprised that your soul is still at angst. The shepherd needs to deal with that. Second, it's the parasites of the flies, things that would come to attack them in their head. And, and some would suggest, although this isn't explicitly what the text is saying, but when we look at sheep, we can kind of come to this connection that the thoughts in your inner life and what the enemy lies to you or talks to you, it could be a little lie that, oh, they meant this or they meant that or your dad was never there or whatever it is that the enemy will take and twist lies. And the thoughts in our head, that's why the Bible says take every thought captive because if we're not, with the thoughts that go through our minds will drive us to insanity, will drive us away from the shepherd and rob us of rest. And lastly, it's hunger. It's food provisioned for that. And we see it when we are obedient to lie down, fear, friction, the enemy, and hunger are taken care of. And when we follow our shepherd's instruction to lie down, all of our needs are met. And it's in that moment free of friction, free of lies, free of fear, where we can learn to drink deep the presence of God. Living water that Jesus promises in John chapter 4, Jesus with the woman at the the well. Since there goes, he says, hey, can you get me a drink? And you, you know the story, you've been in church. If not, you can read it. She says, how can you ask me that? He says, if you only knew the water I have, you would ask me. I would give you living water. Jesus promises to refresh our soul by the presence of his living water. Not just that, but in Revelation 22. Katie, you can jump up on the keys. Revelation 22, 17, at the end of the book, says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Friends, the good shepherd is desperate to restore your soul, your body, your relationships, your mind. But to do that, he needs us to be obedient when he says lay down. Lay down. 
When we lay down, we drink deep of communion, of our relationship with God. And there's lots of practices through prayer or worship or hearing God speak, community with other believers, a lot of these things. But when we cause ourselves to lay down, we allow our minds and our bodies to stop and become grateful of the good shepherd who is always there. Because the shepherd will lead us as we get into next week. The goal of your life is not just to roll around in green pastures and frolic in the water. But we first need to allow the Father, the shepherd, to come and restore our soul if we're ever going to walk through what he's called us to walk through. It would be a young or immature lamb that when the rest of the flock comes to rest, it wants to run ahead to where he thinks he needs to go. The shepherd knows that if you're ever going to make it, you need to rest now. Whether you feel like it or not, now is the time to lie down. And for us who desire to follow Jesus throughout in, in creation, our literally our, our seven-day work week is circled around this creation account of six days of work and one day of rest. But Jesus invites us into his Sabbath rest. And the invitation for you today, the Father being your shepherd, Yahweh, the Jesus being our shepherd, is that he leads us and he will make us lie down. And he will lead us to a place of deep communion and living waters with him. And the result is that he will restore every aspect of who you are so that you can do what he has called you to do. Sheep benefit enormously from regular, daily, weekly reminders that we are sheep and not the shepherd. A renewal of the soul takes place in seeing afresh who I am in the world. Not master and commander but a frail and prone to wander sheep with a good shepherd. And that my experience of soul rest will always be dependent on my proximity to him. Message translation of Matthew 11 puts it this way. For us this morning, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, Jesus speaking here. Get away with me, and you will recover, restore, return your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. A rest from your longing, a rest from that career that you'll finally be able to provide for your family or that relationship that you think will quench your loneliness, or that thing that will provide your purpose, or whatever your longing is, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Drink deep of the living water. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And the work we call you to, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Friends, the invitation of verses 2 to 3, Psalm 23. 
to learn what it means to live a life in obedience to where the shepherd leads us. And although this command to Sabbath, to lay down and rest, absolutely applied in the times that we read in Scripture, but I don't know a time, and I may just be novel about my own time in history where we live, but if our society, if the church of Jesus, if I need anything, it's to learn to rest, when the Father says rest, not just to stop activity, not just a fun day off, but to learn to regularly and consistently learn to delight in my shepherd. To delight and thank him, enter his courts with thanks for the things that he has provided. Because I know all too well the eye of my longing will never be quenched. Therefore, we must learn to limit it. And one of the ways we limit the constant longing and aching of a soul is through the practice of Sabbath, through the practice of resting and delighting in the good Father and his promises this. When we do, he restores our soul brings us to a place of perfect communion with him. It removes the things that cause us to want to sin and long. It's this transformation that he brings us to. It is the answer to the question, how do I live a life where I shall not want? It's by living a life where regularly you meet with the shepherd to be restored. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Father, we ask that you would help us. We're terrible at this. We are sheep desperate need of a shepherd who leads and guides. So Father, this week as we reflect, read, and meditate on your word in Psalm 23, Lord, would you point out what it could look like for us to learn to lie down in green pastures where you lead us to and teach us what it looks like to drink deeply of living waters. In Jesus' name.